Hello, friends. We are here with a very special bonus episode. Your Captain Justine Mastin here. I enjoyed so much hearing all of the things that Larissa found problematic about Gremlins. And I thought that you, our listeners, would love to hear it as well. So without further adieu, (laughs) I give you (laughs) Larissa rants about Gremlins. All right, friends. Uh, I broke this down into a list of items that I I didn't I didn't like live tweet or live message Justine during the watching of Gremlins in part because I wanted to just let it like wash over me. <laughs> um, once it opened onto the scene of the red light district in Chinatown, and let's pause a second and just take in the fact that at no point in this film do we find out where this particular Chinatown is located because as many of us probably know there is a Chinatown in every single major and frankly even moderately sized metropolis <laughs> so putting it in Chinatown it's like it's meaningless it really is but at any rate as soon as it like opened on the red light district of Chinatown I knew that this was a film that was going to spark a lot of feelings and I thought it would be best to just let those feelings flow you know, sometimes we just got to go with emotion mind and then we can step back and use analysis and break it up into items. Some of these items are not going to be new to you if you listen to uh, the first episode about gremlins. Some of these items are brand new. Uh, like item one, we did not spend enough time on this, but I really found myself asking, why is the entire suburban economy in this film driven by child labor? <laughs> Justine, do you have any thoughts on this? What is it about? Um, okay, so as a person who um, was alive when when Gremlins came out, uh, it was Fair. it was a very different time, and th- there were not quite the restrictions on on work as there are now, and it was not uncommon for a seventeen year old to have a job or two. Um, I will say it was a bit unusual that Billy worked at a bank mm-hmm. um, and that he took his dog to the bank and and like had a little like little like special hook where he would like like, you know, like just like cook his dog there. So he didn't run around and I guess like get in the files. Right. <laughs> like so like, dog storage, just a little dog storage. Like, like also like why didn't his dog have a blanket? Like maybe may, there might have been one shoved back in the corner, but like. It seems like Billy does this every day. So I do think that at the very least, he could have somehow figured out how to splurge on more comfortable accommodations for man's best friend, really human's best friend. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I think we, we've been arguing about Billy's age. And I, as I've been percolating yes, it, that's in, my in head. fact item two. But let's let's move into that. Yeah. How old okay. is Billy? This like 17 year old who's clearly played by a 25 year old, which I know what you're going to say. And let me just say it for you, um, <laughs> that I know that back in the 80s, really everyone who was cast as a teen was between the ages of 25 and 45. <laughs> well, what I was going to say <laughs> um, is that he's so he's drinking a beer in the bar, right? Am yes, I remembering that correctly? I think uh, so. Where his friend, who I think is also supposed to be within Gremlin Cannon 17, is serving him. Yeah, I think they're they're probably supposed to be 18. 
because okay. the the legal drinking age was 18 until wow a, a certain point. So I think probably our friend Billy is supposed to be 18. Mm-hmm. And and so is his friend. Now, it still brings up the question of how the fuck old is Corey Feldman supposed to be? Yes. This is really and important because he also this, has at least an after school job where in which he like delivers Christmas trees, which is ridiculous because the kid is what, like four, five, four, seven. And that's <laughs> fine. He's 10. We all know that he grows. This is not to like size shame him at all, but it's just like cut that poor little fellow a break. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else? I want to back to your items. Back to my items. At what I I wanted to take a break here and look up the Gremlins cast list. I think this is gold. I think people will love this. (laughs) It'll be really funny if this is what pushes us to the top. Here it is. We thought people wanted to hear about psychology. We were wrong. They were. We were wrong. We just. They just wanted to rant. Okay. What? No, it's his boss. All right. His friend is named Kate. There's Mm. little Corey Feldman. Here's that poor Asian man who was forced to play the the blind Asian man. It was so it was so weird. Oh, mm-hmm. it was so weird. It was it was Orientalism at its finest. Mm. It sure was. Oh, here it is. Who's this guy? Judge Reinhold. Yes, oh, Judge Reinhold. <laughs> yes. For me, one of the brightest sparkles of the Gremlins One Christmas tree. Um. Which also, very normative religious representation, but whatever. That was also the 80s, and it's still happening today. But that's beside (laughs) the point. The brightest sparkle on the Gremlins Christmas tree was Judge Reinhold when he popped up. Because the thing about Reinhold is that he, at that point in his career, he looked younger than Billy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And wasn't he in law school or some shit? No, I think, like, he was his, like, bank manager. If I'm remembering oh, right, like okay. remember, it's, and and he was mad that that's okay. that's okay. So he's mad that Billy brings his dog to work, <laughs> and then and then like he he and Billy at some they like meet up at the bar where I do think Billy is having a beer that apparently his dear friend Kate was pouring for him, and he's like mm-hmm. Billy, you got to get it together. Like I have plans, I'm going places, I'm your supervisor, and I'm going to be bank manager, and then I'm going to be like the president of this branch or something. Was his long term goal? Uh, yeah uh yeah he he had he had no illusions about getting out of whatever town is nope. adjacent to that metropolis with chinatown <laughs> no nope. he knew that he felt comfortable in suburban psychosis and that's where he was gonna stay Speaking of psychosis, let's uh, talk about the female representation in this movie. Um, oh, I'm so excited. Yes, it's, please, it's wonderful. Rant. So there is one person of color who I believe both uh, presents and I'm assuming identifies because this is the 80s and we weren't really having a lot of gender discussions at that point. Um, regardless, she is, she is presented as a African-American woman. Does she have a speaking part? No. No, she does not. What the hell, upstairs people? But at any rate, <laughs> she has no speaking line. We see her like walking across the street at some point, like during cutscenes between the bank, the bank moments. Um, so there's her. So and she's walking in broad daylight and not being harassed, which is 
you know, like, I guess positive. Um, but she, <laughs> she just comes and goes. We never see or hear from her again. Um, there is a speaking role for the uh, African-American science teacher, I think chemistry. He is the first one killed by the gremlins because, no. of course. And then the rest of the representation who are not like white men or boys um, are pretty much, there's like Kate who works two jobs and had experienced some very severe trauma that we will get to later. Um, <laughs> but she is like more or less active, I would say. Um, but then everybody else, they are the white wives of the disenfranchised. <laughs> adult men none of whom were work because in this town the economy really is fueled by child labor um so they don't they don't work they have these huge homes that are clearly poorly insulated god knows how they're paying for like heating and cooling and all of that um but there they are they're living there husbands aren't working their children are out like bringing home the bacon and <laughs> clearly these these wives they all have depression some of them might have like dual diagnosis depression and anxiety and substance abuse but i think it's Yes, yes, because it's pretty clear. I don't think it's canon, but I'd argue that it should be. Um, it's certainly my head canon for gremlins that they're all self-medicating <laughs> with sugar, sugar paste that uh, Billy's mom uses to decorate her wonderful little gingerbread people. And that, that sugar paste, I think, is probably laced with Xanax. <laughs> because how else do you explain her glassy-eyed gaze of hopelessness when she's first introduced and Billy walks in and she's watching, it's a wonderful life. It's so terrible. Like, clearly this woman is waiting for like a transcendent moment in relationship to her husband, who is a terrible excuse for a father and provider. She's like, maybe he's going to grow and change and I can stop eating this Xanax, this Xanax sugar paste. Spoiler alert. That's not what happens for her. Oh my god. She does, however, midway through the film, have a full on BDSM moment with one of the gremlins. Oh, yeah, tree. he does. Right? <laughs> it is so sexually charged. I was watching this scene and I was like, how did children watch this? This is terrible. Well, I, I want to be really clear that um, children in the 80s had no adult oversight. So I don't know that any adult human has ever actually watched this film. Oh, they uh, should. <laughs> all right so that pretty much takes us to we did item three talking about <laughs> See, representation only item three. well and, and we did hit on billy's father and how deeply troubled he is and i know i'm making fun of his like social emotional plight which is not something i would do as a psychotherapist i want to be very clear on that but as a viewer i had a hard time channeling empathy for this man who clearly really wanted to be a noirist detective. That's the only way I can explain the bookend opener and closing monologue. Um, but he seemed very unhappy. He clearly had delusions of grandeur. All of his inventions were terrible. I don't know why that was in there because it's never resolved. He has no <laughs> character arc. He starts miserable and he ends miserable. At least his wife has that, what I think might have been a very transcendent, albeit violent moment. But folks, transcendence is violence sometimes um moment with the gremlins but yeah he doesn't he doesn't really grow no he learns no lessons no because here's the thing folks in this film i think part of what it's trying to say whether it knows it or not is that suburbia will stagnate you 
<laughs> Thanks, Chris Columbus. This holiday movie is great. It's so strange. And let's not even talk about the cutscenes with like the random chipper Christmas tunes. And we cut this out of episode four. But yes, I was singing Christmas carols this morning while we were getting ready to record to liven up my vocal cords. Because that's one of the many gifts of Gremlins. <laughs> I mean, do we need, should we do, do we need more? Do we need more items? Yes. Oh. Next item. <laughs> Let's, I, just a, cu- a couple more and then we'll call oh, it a day. Okay. So item five, we talked about really the heart of it last night. I was really focusing on Billy's crush, Katie or Kate. Um, let's see. What do they, what do they bill her as? I know. I know her real name is Phoebe Katz. Google. I want to know what her name is in Gremlins. Okay. It's Kate, Kate Berenger. So Kate, um, she works two jobs. The first is at the bank. The second one is at a bar and (laughs) we're going to get to her trauma history in in a later item. Um, but what this final item talks about is that at some point, what, her and Billy are fighting, like, the last remaining gremlin, which they lovingly call Stripe. And we haven't <laughs> mentioned this already, but I think it's, like, this is very much widely accepted that Gremlins is, among many things, a highly xenophobic film. Mm. So once our cute little mogwai turn into gremlins, you know, what, what we see them doing, the activities they're engaging in, uh, the forms of their body, slanted eyes, larger noses, these kinds of things, they are very much working as kind of like hybrid caricatures of um, African-Americans, minstrelism, um, and, orientalism. and orientalism, hardcore. It's, it's, like you, if you, it's like if you took all those things and put it in a blender. Like like Billy's mom did. Like Billy's mom did. Yeah, she did. That was like the first gremlin she killed, I think, through a blender. Um, but yeah, yeah, you put him in a blender like Billy's mom. You you get our our gremlin friends. But also, here's the thing: Chris Columbus or whoever this particular like puppeteer designer was. Not only did he hate uh, black people, Asian people, um, probably Jews. He, probably Jews. There's a lot of anti-Semitism in here as well. Because it's Christmas. Um, also, also <laughs> what he seemed to hate was the punk rock movement. Because the <laughs> aforementioned Stripe has a large mohawk. <laughs> and he is referred to as the leader of these gremlins. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. He's the leader. And even when he's a cute little mogwai, Billy makes comments about, oh, that's Stripe. He's shifty. We can't trust him. <laughs> we know it's him because like look at that white stripe and it's like dude it's a mohawk like just have the courage of your convictions if you're going to be a hater and call it a mohawk um and poor gizmo i mean these are his children essentially they are and he is just he is watching them go from like you know like mischievous little fur babies and turn into these these just awful violent creatures and and he's and he's very much powerless to stop them. 